0: Let's take our Bibles and go to John chapter 6 this morning. John chapter 6, and I'm glad you're here. I'm glad to be here. I'm most thankful that the Lord is here. I don't want to ever take for granted the reality of God's presence. A lot of times we gather together in a religious function and activity, and it's about anything but the Lord. But the Lord is still a person. The God that we seek and the God that we know and we're going to talk about and introduce you to, if you don't know Him, is a person, and He can be interacted with as such. Looking forward to this week, how the Lord's going to work. I believe God's up to something every day, and I'm just thankful He lets us be a part of it. And so we're going to come with expectation because He's a God that still promises to do exceeding and abundantly above all that we could ask or think. So no matter where you are in your journey, I, I hope you're on a journey and walking with the Lord no matter where you might be in your aspect of life and where you might be in this room here this morning, whether you're down here or you're up in the um, quarantine section up there and <laughs> wherever you might be, whatever reason you're here, some may be here because you have an obligation. You might be here because, you know, it's just the thing to do. It's a duty. You're here because somebody put pressure on you. Whatever reason you think you're here, ultimately, I hope you understand you're here because God is looking for you. And God wants to do something that is exceeding and abundantly above all that you could even ask or think. And so this morning, I want us to start that direction. John chapter number 6, if you have it. Could you stand with me, please, out of respect for the Bible, and we'll read our passage. Go to the end of the chapter, and we'll read the last few verses of this long chapter of John, chapter 6. We'll begin in verse number 66. The Bible reads, From that time many of His disciples went back and walked no more with Him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him being one of the twelve jesus asked a question will ye also go away it's a fair question it's a legitimate question i think we'll see and so i want to ask you the same question through the authority of jesus christ what about you will you also go away let us answer that this morning thank you please be seated The sixth chapter of John's Gospel, with its 71 verses, is the longest chapter. It's a tremendous chapter. The book of John's a tremendous book. Someone has called John's Gospel the most wonderful book in the world, and if that's true, this might be one of the most wonderful chapters in the world. The early ministry of Jesus attracted many people to Him. We're told in this passage, a few verses before, that the disciples that were following Jesus it was not just the twelve, it was a multitude. Multitude would be how many? More than what we have here this morning. It was a bunch of people. Disciples, it's not just a crowd, a band, a multitude of disciples are following, following Him. And they're perhaps following Him for many different reasons. And you might have many different reasons, too, that motivate you or something that stands out among others, uh, other reasons for following Him. For example, I believe that there were people following Jesus because of the miracles He had performed. Why? Just in John chapter 2, He turned water into wine by speaking. That miracle itself perhaps motivated people to say, He's someone that we can look to. He's someone that we can follow. John chapter 5, a man who had not walked for 38 years by speaking the word. This man was healed, was made whole. He took up his bed and he walked. In John chapter 6, Jesus took five loaves and two fishes and fed 5,000 plus, the miracles would no doubt motivate people to follow this miracle worker. And by the way, he's still performing miracles today. He is a miracle worker. Every time I hear of a soul being saved, it's a miracle. Every time I hear of someone being helped and delivered from the bondage of sin, it's a miracle. In fact, every time God speaks to me, it's still a miracle. Our God is a miracle-working God. But not just the miracles, but I believe the teaching. When Jesus taught, I believe it did something. Could you imagine hearing and being in the presence of Jesus and hearing His words? In John chapter 3, He taught about the new birth. In John chapter number 4, He talked about the fields are ripe to harvest. I, I appreciate the emphasis that was just... Uh, described to us by Brother Lloyd about missions. Jesus' heart was the fields are widened to harvest, and and they would hear this and put their their focus back into perspective. In John chapter 5, he talked about the power of the Scriptures, the miracles, the teaching. But I still think others perhaps follow Jesus because of the testimony of others. The testimony. How about Nicodemus? Can you imagine the testimony when he described to others what took place that night in his interaction with Jesus or the woman at the well in John 4. The Bible says she had great impact and influence upon a city because of what God did in her life. And people followed Jesus because of that. Lives were changed. But at the end of John chapter 6, it seems that there's a sudden change. The Bible tells us in verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back. And then it says, sadly, and walked no more with him. It's not uncommon that I can knock on a door in our area, and I know I could do the same thing here and ask somebody if they know for certain that their sins are forgiven, that they have eternal life, and are you 100% sure that if you died right now or even five years from now, do you know for sure? And, and they will say something like, well, I know, I, I am saved. Well, can you tell me about it? And they tell me about a time they put their faith in Jesus Christ. And then my follow up question is mm, so where do you go to church? Well, yeah, we, we don't, don't, I, I don't know. Sometimes they'll say, Oh, I go to Canaan. That's, that's, that's my church. <laughs> well, who's the pastor? I don't really know. Well, I'm the pastor, by the way, so I'm just glad to meet you. Um, Are you tithing? Just want to make sure we got everything in order here. But so often out here, I used to go. I used to be a deacon, used to be a teacher, used to be faithful. But walking with Him no more. It's tragic. We're not told the reason exactly But we are told that there were some who had picked up their cross and decided to follow Jesus. They have now defected. What is it that had taken place? What is it that Jesus had done? The Bible tells us in in the earlier verses uh, that He had communicated truth. He had spoken truth. Listen, nothing seems to divide people like truth. That's why the Bible tells us, God tells us, we're to rightly divide the word, the truth, because this is His truth. All truth is God's truth. Jesus is not a way, He's the way, the truth. And when He communicates truth, it does divide. Pastor mentioned the emphasis of still church and And that's not original with us. And my pastor years ago wrote this and, and we've used it because I think it's a great apologetic in explaining some things about our church. I know in our area, people think that we're just uneducated. We're just, uh, we're not informed of what's going on all around us. But the fact is, we do know what's going on. I can feel the temperature of the religious uh, uh, atmosphere all around us. I feel it. You feel it. Even if you're not quite certain as to where you should land, you can feel all around you these pressures. And I remind our church, we're not just holding on to the past. But I believe we should be more about protecting the future than just holding on to the past. Our anchor is rooted in the past. And by the way, Central Baptist Church is a great church. But one of the, 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 the dangers is that you can take that for granted and just try to hold on to the past. You know, our anchor is rooted in the past. You've got to protect the future. And in doing so, you need to understand something that I believe the Bible is getting across in this matter of delivering truth. And that is, we don't just want to be old-fashioned. I used to say I'm an old-fashioned, but old-fashioned can have some different connotations. What I want us to be is timeless. You know, old-fashioned can be 50 years ago. I'm not wanting us to be as a church, as our church, Kingdom Baptist Church. I don't want it to be old-fashioned like 50 years ago. I want it to be timeless like 2,000 years ago malls are trendy. Churches should not feel trendy. There's a forceful current of change all over our country. In fact, change is part of life. Seasons change. Cycles of life you change. When a person is saved, there's change. Not all change is bad. But the fact is, change sometimes brings about this current of, of, of constant not sure what I'm supposed to do. People have a need to connect to something that's enduring, something that is firm, something that is timeless. And I believe God Almighty designed the church to fill that need as something that is firm, something that is enduring, and something that is timeless. We believe that our church, this church, it ought to feel like a church. I've, I've had preachers say to me, "I'm trying to figure out and feel my way through this, and I think what we want is a church." And this is, I'm, I'm quoting, "This is what is said: I want a church, but I don't want it to feel too churchy." And I thought about that. And I thought, "I'm not even smart enough to understand that." That's like saying, "I want to go to a coffee shop that's not too coffee." Or to a restaurant that's not too foody. That would be McDonald's. But um, I want our church to be churchy. I want our community to know that there is still a church that feels like a church. And as was mentioned, it's not going to feel like a rock concert because it's not. It's not going to feel like a comedy club because there's no, not going to be any of those routines. It's not going to feel like a motivational seminar, though I think people can be motivated by the Word of God. And it, again, it's not old-fashioned like 50 years ago. We want it to be timeless like 2,000 years ago. Well, what are some of the, these areas? And I know what they're saying by, we don't want it to be too churchy, but I want them to understand that when I say, I do want us to be churchy, then if that's the, the word you want to use, then I thought, well, let, let, let's describe it. Let's define it. Um, How about the area of preaching? I still believe dynamic, passionate Bible preaching still brings more lasting effect than a rock concert and a comedy routine and a motivational seminar and a chalk talk. I believe it. Do you know the command that is given to every preacher is not to preach? The average person in our society listens to more preaching on the radio, television, and when they go to their... Their place of education. The command given to every preacher is to preach the word. Amen. That's the authority. That still changes lives. We still want to be church when it comes to this matter of preaching, timeless preaching. But here's another men. We can still have men. We live in this. Age where the rumor is that masculine men hate church. That's not true. There's still plenty of real men who believe that God expects them to set up and provide and to be strong and have loving leadership in the church and in their families. Amen. Thankful that I received a text this morning. 35 of our men met at 7.30 this morning and prayed. Prayed for this meeting. Prayed for you. And I'm thankful for some men who believe that you can still be a man in 2020. We still believe in hymns. That's H-Y-M-N-S. Most church music is dumbing down lyrics and cranking up the volume. And the purpose is they're trying to build interest. But the hymns that we sing still generate an attitude toward God that is anything but lifeless and boring. Not just preaching, not just men, not just hymns, but how about reverence? Casual is all the rage in American society and institutions. But God deserves better. Let me try that again there. God deserves better. Revelation 5 says He is worthy. We're not talking about having a judgmental spirit. I don't know anyone in our church that would be judgmental about how somebody looks coming in. But what we are talking about is a place that believes reverence is right for the presence of God. You go through your Bible... You find people who recognize and become aware and awakened that they are in the presence of God. You don't find slouching. You don't find casual. If anything, you're going to find them on their face. Because God is worthy. One professor of a secular institution went to a funeral of a colleague who had passed. And the professor was wearing a suit and tie. The students came up to him and said, and called him by name, they joked and jabbed at him for wearing a suit for which he does not do, they don't do in in our college classrooms. they said, don't you know he's dead? You don't have to wear a suit and tie. And he said, I'm not wearing this for him. I'm wearing this because I want you to know how much he meant to me. You know, there's no power in a tie. There's no power in wearing a suit. But I also want to say there's no power when you take it off either. I said there's no power by taking it off. And Some guy puts on skinny jeans and and guy and skinny jeans ought never go together. All of a sudden, they take off the tie, they become relevant. There's no power in that. John 6, 63, the flesh profiteth nothing. It's the Spirit that quickeneth. Hebrews 4 and verse 12, for the Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. So why then are you stuck wearing something like this? Well, one, I'm not stuck, but another is because I want people to know how much He means to me. He's worthy. We still believe in family. We still believe that the biblical roles for the home are the answer and the only hope for sure, stable, fulfilled homes. And getting back to the Bible roles. We still believe in exciting. I believe that you can be faithful in church as a member and still be excited about God. You know, just the same. I believe that you can be happy and still married. (laughs) I believe you can walk with God and still be excited about the things of God. God doesn't need, by the way, He does not need the top 40 or the latest fads for us to be excited about Him. What is it that should excite us about God? This is a novel idea what's your point nothing seems to divide people like truth does 2nd Timothy 4 and verse 3 the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine well that's encouraging so what do we do well what did he say to do preach the word be instant in season and out of season I believe that being instant, in season, out of season, does not necessarily mean um, when you're ready or when you're not ready. I don't believe it means when you have notice or when you don't have notice, you should be able and be ready to preach at the drop of a hat. He just says that there will come a time when they will not endure sound doctrine. And he goes down a little bit later and he says, but preach the word. The instant, in season, out of season, meaning what? when they want to hear it and when they don't want to hear it see the problem is our preachers today have caved to please consumers <coughs> so people have been taught the customer is always so they come into church for that same thinking and so they want to tell us what they're looking for now the the they're at, the deacons at Canaan they've gotten used to this, but at first it kind of shocked them. Some it kind of maybe bothered them. I don't know if it bothered them. We the, the best relationship with our, my deacons. And I love them. I love them, and it's just I love working with them. And but be, people would come, folks would come, they'd visit, and I would ask, um, "Are you living in the area, just passing through? You know, what's the story?" And they'll say something like this: "Well, we're looking for a church that will suit us." Or, we're looking for a church that will meet our needs. And my answer would always be, you may want to try another church. We're not here to meet your needs. We're here to tell you what Jesus says. I said, we're here to tell you what Jesus says. And yet there are people who feel like um, you don't like this, or we'll cross this off the list. You, 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 you like this instead, or we'll add this to the list. And I've had people come in and sit down and say, we don't like this. I think we should do it different. And I said, but here's the thing about it. You say you think we should do it this way, but what about the other 300 who say we ought to do it this way? Tell me, which one am I supposed to listen to? God has a different idea. Why don't we all listen to Him? And why don't we follow the word of God? And someone says, well, that's what I'm trying to do. But I'm trying to do it the way I want to do it. But God says, I've got even an answer to that one. Why don't you come underneath the umbrella of the church? And you be unified. God's given a leader. And God has said that He would make sure that this would be a clear understanding. We're a body. Christ is the head. Yet He's giving us an under-shepherd that will help. And And I tell our church, I'm a pushy pastor. I'm a pushy pastor. I'm trying to push you to know Jesus. I'm not the priest of anybody's home. I'm having a Tough enough time with just mine. I'm not the priest of anybody's home. I'm not looking to get involved in your home outside of what the Bible says. I'm a pastor of a local church. I'm trying to get people who sometimes think that they're consumers, people who will claim to be Christians, I'm trying to get them to see God's mandate is that everyone be saved. And everyone who is saved, God's demand is that you take up your cross, you deny yourself, and daily follow Him. Maybe that wasn't clear enough. The whole point is, if you're not saved, get saved. If you're saved, follow the one who saved you. you say, well, I just want a place where I just can go feel good. Well, isn't that the buffet after the service? (laughs) Why don't you come to a place where you can be helped to be made good? Church. But look at verse 67. Jesus said unto the twelve, Will you also go away? I believe his tone was soft. I believe his eyes were piercing and soul searching. We may be confident that our commitment in Jesus is not going to change. But I believe it's a valid question. Remember in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, you don't have to turn there. Paul writes, Now the end of the commandment is, a ch- is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience, faith unfeigned, listen, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling. That's 1 Timothy 1, verse 5 and 6. But you see the word some later in verse 19, holding faith in a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. But just about a year and a half later, Paul writes again in uh, 2 Timothy 1 and verse 15. All they which are in Asia be turned away. In 12 months to uh, 18 months, it goes from some to all. The point is, it's a valid question. When Jesus said, are you too going to... No, I've been here too long. But you need to answer the question, why are you here? Will you turn away? Remember, uh, Paul closes his letter in Colossians 4 and verse 14. Demas, greet you. But two years later, 2 Timothy 4 and verse 10, Paul says, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. What is it about the world? 1 John 2 and verse number 15 tells us, All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father but is of the world. Somehow demons got caught up in the world. And the tragedy, the tragic part, is when people get caught up in the world in the place sometimes called church. Because if church doesn't still stay church, as a discipleship mechanism, pushing people to Christ, it's easy to find the world. And Demas somehow, doesn't tell us, but somehow he got into the world. Alright, so... In every local church, I believe we can see these same categories of people. There's four. Let me give them to you real quick, and we've got to be done. Look at verse 66. From that time, many of the disciples went back. I believe this is the uncommitted. They're just not committed. Doesn't that describe the culture of our day? They're not committed. People are not committed to their marriages. They're not committed to their jobs. But the saddest is when we're not committed to Christ, those who know Him. The disciples were inactive. They're in a sad spiritual state of backsliding. Listen, if the devil can get our eyes off of Christ, he will successfully pull you away from Christ. If the devil can get your eyes off of Jesus... He will pull you eventually away from Him. That's why Hebrews 12.1 says, Run your race. Hebrews 12.2, Look unto Jesus. And the nuance of those words is, Look away from everything else and look unto Jesus. Because if you don't, you will eventually be pulled away from Jesus. Our first love ought to be a fiery love. Luke 17, verse 32, Jesus said, Remember Lot's wife. Isn't that interesting? What is there to remember about Lot's wife? Well, what did Lot's wife do? You can talk to me. Those of you who are awake and the rest of you just sleep on. What did she do? She looked back. She didn't go back She looked back. Luke 9.62, No man having put his hand to the plow, and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Hey, it does make a a big deal of difference as to what you're looking at. Years ago, I took a motorcycle safety course and one of the things that stood out in my mind that had biblical application and, and spiritual nuance to it was this. You steer where you stare. That's what Jesus is saying. Listen, for some of you who are deciding, you're already deciding that you're going to stay home and watch the Super Bowl, you will steer where you stare. Well, I've already made commitments to people. We're going to have this party. I want to tell you this. If you are saved, you've made a bigger commitment to Jesus Christ the day He saved you. And that should take precedence over any little party. It does make a, a, a difference as to what you're looking at. The truth of Jesus' teaching is creating a division. And there's a casual, there's a superficial group of disciples. They've not counted the cost. And whenever they're hearing Jesus, you know what they said to him? This is hard. Could you imagine telling Jesus, this is just too hard? I can understand you saying that to me. But to Jesus, he has the words of life. He is eternal life. He is the giver of abundant life. He is the origin, the source of peace, love, and joy. It's not that what Jesus is saying is hard. What's hard is when you're not committed. Ah, this marriage is just too hard. I'm just going to get out of it. Well, what's so hard about it? Well, we're just dysfunctional. Every single person I've ever met is dysfunctional by themselves. And you put two dysfunctions together, it's a dysfunctional marriage. You want, well, how in the world is it going to happen? How is it going to work? Well, I'm going to tell you, if you stop listening to Hollywood and looking at Hollywood, it'll be a good start for you. Just saw the news that Pamela Anderson is calling it quits on whatever number of marriage this is after being married 12 days. And someone said, well, at least she made it 12 days. 12 days. And that's how we look at Hollywood. Well, I'm so glad. They've just they, they they've made this fifth marriage work pretty good. They've been married a whole six months. That's pretty good. So maybe we'll, when they write a book, we'll read the book. Why don't you quit reading their books and read the book? Amen. What he says is not that it's hard, but for those who are uncommitted, it's hard. Because, because you're not faithful to him. You're not loyal to him. And you're not determined to do what He says. The uncommitted do not make real disciples. See, I tell our church Sunday morning, glad for the visitors who come. I mean, this is not, am not speaking for your pastor here. But I tell Canaan Baptist Church, glad for the visitors to come. Glad you're here. But we're not preaching to the visitors. Glad you're here. But I want you to know, every time we meet as a church, it's a discipleship meeting. And we're glad for those who pop in to a discipleship meeting. But those who are not committed, they don't make disciples. Jesus is not going to fit into your lifestyle. Jesus is calling us to surrender to Him. Mm. See, Jesus' philosophy, I believe, is that it's better to have a handful who will follow Him and obey truth rather than having a a group that are just curious one Sunday service here and there. There's a second group in verse 67. Jesus said unto the twelve, Will you also go away? Now that may seem like a strange question for those of you who are staples here. You're part of the, the pillar of this church. You're teachers. You're leaders. But the fact is, there are people that are loyal, not so much to Jesus at times, but they're loyal to whatever their need might be. See, their needs change and their loyalty may change. They're just loyal sometimes staying in a place because, well, Jesus is doing some some things for me. But as soon as there's some opposition, that loyalty changes. I think about the the story of a young a, a man and his family moved to a new community. And he, he got involved in a softball league. And, and he wasn't very good at it, but it was a fast-pitch softball. But he got out there just to try to make some friends. And, and his family was there with him watching. And, and his name was Charlie, Charlie Moore. And Charlie Moore got up to bat And um, the fast-pitch softball, that, that ball came across the plate. The umpire said, Strike one. And Charlie Moore dug his feet in and got a better grip on the bat. And that ball came sailing across the plate. He swung, he missed, strike two. And he heard a voice say, That's all right, Mr. Moore. You can do it. And then, as he was repositioning his grip on the bat, He heard a voice say again, Mr. Moore, you've got it. Focus, Mr. Moore. And that ball came sailing across the plate, and it was a foul or or, a ball. And the voice said, That's all right, Mr. Moore. Keep your eye on the ball. Wait a look at it. The ball came across the plate again, and this time he swung and he missed. Strike three, you're out. He's making his way to a dugout, and that's okay, Mr. Moore. Well, when they were going home, they were talking about just the fun of being together and everything. And but Charlie Moore said, "I sure wish I could have made a contribution to the team." And and as he's driving, talking, he said to his seven-year-old son, "Son, was that you that was cheering for me?" He said, "Yes, Dad, it was me." He said, "Son, why were you calling me Mr. Moore?" He said, because I didn't want anybody to know you're my dad. (laughs) I think there's a lot of those in church. One writer wrote the difference between being a fan of Jesus and a follower. Fans can get easily offended. Fans hang around as long as it pleases them. But followers, they're following whether there's a crowd there or it's just the 12 of them. A follower is going to be there whether they understand it or they don't. Whether it hurts or it feels good. Fans are the folks who only go to church. They don't really do much for Jesus because they have other priorities. These people were happy to show up and shout encouragement at church as long as they don't really have to act like They belong to Jesus outside of church. They'll say, you can do it. But don't don't expect them to be there. A fan just shows up. They'll stay as long as it benefits. But as long or when it no longer benefits them, the fan will go elsewhere. No wonder Jesus is asking these 12, are you a fan or are you a follower? Because there will come a point in time, you're going to say it's not worth it. When people come to join our church, they may say all the things, we like the music, we like this, we like that, we like this. Now I'll tell them, I'll caution them, I'll say, listen, don't make the choice to come here based upon your pros and cons. Because that list can change. I said, when I came here, I didn't come here because there were no problems. I didn't come here because there were less problems and more good. In fact, when I first met with the deacons, they were painting a scene. And I picked up on real fast, this is a rosy picture that they're giving me. And I told the deacons, I said, I appreciate what you're doing. But I don't want you to tell me what looks good. I want you to tell me what is. I didn't go there because of something. I went there because of someone. Someone. And when problems come up and they do, I know without a doubt, those are my problems. God wants me to go through that. God wants me to face this because it's God's will for me to be there. Listen, when people come to join the church, I tell them, you need to be here because you're convinced it's the will of Almighty God. Why? Because when problems come, you're going to know I'm supposed to be here and go through these problems. Because when trying times occur, and they will, you need to be convinced, God wants me to go through these trying times. But if you're here just because of the pluses and the minuses, the good versus the bad, those things can swap sides. And, and you're constantly going to be like a fan looking for some other place where you can go sit and soak and sell. But when you're there because of the will of God to follow Jesus, lock, stock, and barrel, that's life-changing. I said it's life-changing to be in the center of the will of God because when that happens, you can love it. I don't, I don't like to be heard. I don't like to be disappointed. I don't like to be uh, let down. I don't like to be hated. But I love knowing I'm in the will of God. Hey, listen. Not only do we see... Quickly, there is the uncommitted, verse 66, the wavering in verse 67. But real quickly, verse number 70 and 71, and Jesus said, um, I've chosen one of you and one of you is a devil. He, in verse 71, he's talking about Judas Iscariot. And real quickly, what he's saying is, there's, there's pretenders. In every church, there's someone pretending to be saved who's not saved. Listen, I'm not talking about religion. You can be religious and go to hell. Judas was religious and he's in hell this morning. It is not religion that saves. It's not the plan of salvation that saves. It's the person of salvation that saves. It's not the prayer that saves. It's the person we're praying to that saves. It's not religion you need. You need a real relationship with Jesus Christ. He said, you must be born again. I was with Tom Farrell just a few weeks ago. We were in Cuba for three days, saw over 600 people saved. I want to say it never gets old seeing someone recognize that they're lost and heading to hell. They can't do anything to save themselves. They call upon the name of the Lord and he does it every single time because he said he would. He saves their soul. Pretending don't, don't, I wouldn't go to hell for my pride. I wouldn't go to hell for a friend. I wouldn't go to hell for peer pressure. I wouldn't go to hell for anything. You need to be saved. But would you look at the last crowd in verse 68? Peter answered, and Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe that thou art, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the Living God. This is what I call the all in crowd. All in. All in. All in. All the time, all the way. That's what a disciple is. I'm all in, all the time, all the way. And listen, Peter is helping us understand something. When you and I, if we ever walk away, the multitude of disciples walked away. Jesus said to the twelve, Are you going to go away? Because going away is not just, I'm going away from this. Peter made it known that any time you leave, and I'm not just talking about geographically member leaving. I'm not talking about that. It's something greater. It could be you not coming back to church tonight. It could be you not being in your place throughout the week. It could be you not cracking your Bible throughout the the day. It could be you just not walking with God, whatever it might be. When you walk away, it's not just that you're walking away, but you will always replace. Peter made it clear. What are we going to replace you with, Jesus? When somebody leaves a Bible-believing church like this, you don't just walk away because you got you got disillusioned or you got upset, you got offended. You don't just walk away. You're going to replace it with something else. And so some people say, well, I'm just not going to church. Well, then you replaced it with something else. I'm not coming back to church tonight. Why? Because you're going to replace church with something else else. So the real question is not just, are you going to walk away? Are you going to stop reading your Bible and stop your aggressiveness and walking with God, knowing Jesus? Are you going to back off on your church attendance? Are you going to back off on your tithing and your giving and your faithfulness to the Lord? It's not just, just I'm not where I used to be. But the real question is, what have you replaced it with? Because everybody replaces with something. Peter got it right how can I replace you Jesus with something else and yet there's somebody who says well I love Jesus I'm just not I'm just, I, just, I just think I can do church different well that's part of your problem you're doing the thinking where God already did the thinking about church right. to say I love Jesus but I don't care to, to attend a local assembly is to say I love the head but I hate his body What would help you is to get rid of your stinking thinking and get back to scriptural thinking and to see He's the answer. Get all in. Lock, stock, and barrel. All in, all the time, all the way. Stand with me, please.